God, you always set up those uh, introductions, Paul, in such a great way. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear who's speaking. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, it's me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's great to be here with each and every one of you. Is it still really icy out? Yeah, we got here pretty early this morning, and so it was it was nice and slick this morning. So I really appreciate you fighting the weather and the elements to get here in person this morning. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out and a huge thank you to uh, Dan and Ryan. Uh, Dan is the chair of our elders team here at the church, and Ryan is the chair of our deacons uh, team. And they just did a great job uh, preparing last week's annual general meeting. Uh, these are two godly men who I just love serving with so much and they're great friends and it's great to see all that they do uh, for our church family so I just wanted to recognize all the hard work that they did to put that meeting on last week and that's why they're not here now now they're just sleeping so there you go and uh, as, as Paul said, we are starting a new sermon series today. We are starting, we're going to spend quite a significant amount of time as a church family going through the book of Revelation. Now, um, I say this all the time as, a as the pastor here of the church, is I strongly, 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 strongly urge everybody, kid, teen, adult, to be a part of our life groups. Right, Because we really believe that it's through the context of meaningful relationship that we truly grow with the Lord and grow with one another. And uh, signing up for a life group at this season right now, like you will get so much more out of this topic of revelation if you're actually in a life group. Uh, one of our former elders, Jim, he's got an amazing spiritual gift of teaching. And so he prepares all the study material that we go through as group leaders and as groups together. And normally he sets up like a one pager introduction for each topic that we go through each week to discuss in our life groups. Well, he's like just nerding out big time right now on Revelation. So I think he's got like a six page introduction or a three page introduction, something like that, just to really help us as followers of Jesus to get really the most out of this letter possible. Because I'm just going to be, you know, jokingly honest with you a little bit. It's kind of partially joking, partially true, is as a pastor, um, I kind of would like to avoid this letter. And not because of the content of it, because I actually think the content of it is crucially important for the church to know. The reason I could tend to want to avoid it is because of the huge amount of division and hostility that comes not from non-Christians out there, but from Christians within the church who find themselves in disagreement over the topic that we're going to be looking at for the next 14 weeks. And it creates this, this tension and this division. And the heart behind this letter is to create unity among the body of Christ. That's its purpose. And so I've intentionally entitled this series, Dear Church, Victory is One. Because I want you to see this as a letter to you. As a letter to the church back in the Apostle John's day, as well as to the church in our, our day. It's a letter that tells us, regardless of what is going on in the world around us, victory is one. 
And it should bring us together under the victory that is available rather than splitting us apart. Now, I actually have quite an extensive background when it comes to the book of Revelation. And I don't share this ever. (laughs) Because then when I share this, it gets me dragged into conversations that honestly I feel like are a colossal waste of my time as a Christian leader in this day and age and in our city and in our nation. But the reason I say that is because um, I was one of those guys who spent years and years and years and years studying nothing but Revelation. I share a lot my my testimony and how I came to faith in Jesus later on in life as an adult in my mid to late 20s. And I share publicly that I came to know about Jesus through an online ministry. And the things that I had heard about Jesus on this online ministry, I'd never heard of before. And I'm like, that's all garbage, togwash. None of that's real. So I bought a Bible to read for myself. And on my commute to work in Montreal, I started in Genesis and I read it cover to cover. And it was through that time of just reading the Bible by myself. No one explained it to me. No one led me to Jesus. I wasn't a part of a ministry or leader or life group or youth ministry. That guy, it was just the Bible. And I realized that I had this thing in my life called sin. <laughs> and my sin needed to be dealt with. So I share that all the time. What I don't share, and I'm going to do that today, is what I had heard about Jesus online all came from Revelation. And, and I met these Christians online, and, and they were talking about, like, the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and fire and judgment and one world government and one world currency and all of this stuff. And, and I'm a nerd, right? I love that stuff. That stuff, okay, like, can you say this? That stuff is cool. Like, if you're approaching that topic, not from a Christian worldview, but as a guy who just loves science fiction and fantasy and horror movies, like, I saw every kind of biblical spin-off movie you could think of. Like, movies like The Omen? Oh, my goodness, I love that movie. Okay, movie like The Exorcist? Oh, I love that movie. Okay, I even liked Arnold Schwarzenegger's End of Days. If you've ever seen that movie, that movie's terrible. It's horrible. But I love stories about, you know, if if a movie's got the devil in it, I'm probably going to go see it. I've always been drawn to this fantastical kind of story. And then I'm hearing from these Christians online, it's like, did you know that, the, that, that this politician is the Antichrist? And did you know that the currency, that there's chips in your currency, and that's the mark of the beast? Do you know that your cell phone is tracking every movement so the one world order knows exactly what you're doing? And I'm like, these people are crazy. And so I go, I, that's not in the Bible, is it? So that's why I bought a Bible. Because of the loons out there. Okay? And so I had to figure this out for myself. And then I became one of the loons. I became obsessive, divisive, hostile, angry when people didn't agree with my studies. Even when I became a new pastor. 
When I was an associate pastor at my very first church that I served at, if you were to go into my office and see my book library, I had a few hundred books in my library back then, and about 70% of them, no word of a lie, were on Revelation. 25% of them were on men's discipleship and men's ministry, and 5% was on the rest of the Bible. (laughs) That's how much I was into this. So I've read everything about everything. On this book. I've read from every position. I have changed my mind over the 20 years that I have been following Jesus dozens of times on this letter. And one of the things that I heard that really, really spoke to me, not heard, but sorry, read, is um, a theologian. He's a university professor. He's been studying the book of Revelation for almost three decades. This is his major. This is what he studies. And he says this in one of his commentaries. He says, I have chosen to believe what the apostle John believes. But I've also come to believe that the apostle John is not sure what he believes. Because God is presenting John with imagery here that ties into the Old Testament, that talks about the present day struggles of the church, which talks about potential future events that are coming. John doesn't have the capacity to fully grasp everything that God is revealing to him. And so he's putting it down in human language for the people of his day to understand. So we need to look at it from that kind of perspective. And that's the posture that I have chosen as I've continued to study this over the years and let God work in my own life. And the real reason why I've avoided teaching this for so long is because I want my heart right before I try to let God speak into your heart, right? And so that's why this letter, it's a love letter from a pastor who loves the church. You see, the Apostle John, John is the disciple that we read about in the Gospels whom Jesus loved. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he saw John and he saw his mother, he told John, this, is, this woman here, this is your mother, and woman, this is now your son. Like John had this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. And that relationship continued, <laughs> even while John was in exile for his faith. So yes, John is this great apostle. Yes, John is this prophet. Yes, John is this visionary, you know, he's receiving visions and imagery of God like the old, uh, for like the old prophets of old. Um, but at his heart, he's a pastor who is concerned for the church. And his heart can be summarized in dear church, victory is one. And so that's the posture I want us to take as we go through this book together. So again, so today's going to be kind of like a bit of a big picture introduction to Revelation. And we're going to dive into a number of verses here in, in, in chapter 1. But again, the heart that I want all of us to take, the heart that I want all of us to take is that we are going to choose to believe what John believed. But we need to agree that maybe John didn't fully know what he believed. (laughs) And that's an okay posture to take. There's nothing wrong with that posture. To take this as an open-handed approach. Because again, I've studied it all from every single angle. (laughs) And that's where I had to bring myself. 
what does Jesus say to John to deal with the struggles of the church back then? And how does that message continue to encourage you today with everything that the world is throwing at you today? How can you be encouraged, dear church, that victory is won? So again, just to kind of set up the back story of this book here, again, it's written by the Apostle John. Uh, There's a little bit of... You know, debate on when exactly was it written? Was it written in the 70s AD? Most scholars now lean more towards the end, like 95, 96 AD when it was written. And so John would have been, you know, an older man for sure. And he was in exile on an island. He's basically cast away. We actually just watched the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks as a family while I was on vacation last week. And it was like just on this island. I've seen pictures now of Potmos and this island now. Like if you go now, it's like, man, I'd like to go to that island right now. It's gorgeous. It's like this beautiful like retreat place. But back in Paul's day, that was a Roman prison colony. (laughs) It was this island where you shipped off the people that you just didn't want to hear from anymore. That's where he is sent because of his faith. And he writes, God gives him this vision. God tells him to write this down because the church in that time of of history was going through immense, immense persecution. Now, when I say persecution... I don't mean someone on Facebook insulting your faith. That's not what I mean by persecution. I mean you're being tortured, you're being killed, you're not able to buy food, you're not able to get a job. The government there completely wants you dead because of what you believe. See, because Rome had made this shift where suddenly there's now the worship of Caesar, where Caesar is God. And anyone who will not worship Caesar as God will be executed. And now Jesus' followers, the church, who believe that there is only one God, maker of heaven and earth, and that he has been completely revealed to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, that they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, not by their religious traditions or anything that they do, but simply by the repentance and the confession of their sin. When they re- and they're told, you need to now bow down and worship, they don't do it. And so now they're public enemy number one because of this. And that's kind of where John writes from, that posture. This is where the church is. In this point in human history. And so when John gets these images, gets these visions from from God, there's a lot of similar language from what we read about in the Old Testament. There's a lot of parallel between the the, uh, imagery that we can read about in books like Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah. Because John is Jewish... He understands the Jewish word. He's speaking to a lot of people who come from a Jewish background. They get this imagery. See, what we tend to do as Western Christians is we read this, and we all get together in our life groups during the week, and what do you think this means? What do you think this means? What do you think this means? And we all say what we think it means. And then we have to kind of sit there and go, well, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what I think it means. What does it say? (laughs) 
What does it actually mean? Who cares about our opinion? (laughs) What does it really mean? And sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging. When you read about this image, well, where have you seen that image play out before? I actually learned this in seminary. It was one of the probably one of the best lessons I ever learned in my entire time at seminary was this simple statement. If you ever have a question about the Bible, the best place to get your answer is the Bible. If the Bible has an amazing way of answering itself. That's why I believe every single family should own a Bible. I think every single family should own a good study Bible and every family should own a very good, doesn't have to be a big one, but just a nice, simple little systematic theology book to help guide us through some of these conversations that we have sometimes, right? Because we get so divisive on these things. Let, Let me show you as an example on how easy it is to create division on this. Let's read from Revelation chapter one. I'm going to read in verse one. Here it says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So let me just focus on five words. The revelation from Jesus Christ. That sounds very clear, doesn't it, when you read it? Right? Sounds very clear. Um, Experts and theologians around the world are not in agreement on what this means. Churches split over these five words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. You see the word revelation, it comes from the Latin, uh, and it literally means to make something known. So what is being known here? Again, the revelation from Jesus Christ. And other translations will say the revelation of Jesus Christ. So sometimes in English we put of and we put from. Why do we put different words? Because we're not quite sure. Some scholars believe what this actually means is that it's this revelation. It's this kind of making something known of uncovering the future events. And Jesus, since Jesus is the one that's telling you, well, it's these future events, and they come from Jesus. Other scholars, as they dig deeper into this, is what's actually being revealed. Because, again, the Greek word that's being used here is the word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. And this Greek word means an unveiling, an uncovering, making something known. And more and more and more scholars, as they unpack these five little words... They're actually saying what is being revealed? It's Jesus. (laughs) What is being revealed to the church? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It all centers on Jesus. It's completely about Jesus. And Jesus is being revealed to the church as they are dealing with persecution. So right in the very first five words, we have conflict and division. See why it's so important to hold this book like this? <laughs> we got to look at it, you know, through these lenses, you know, of what did it mean to John? What did it mean in John's day? What does it mean for us? So again, so like, again, for example, if I were to ask you, and there's a little bit of audience participation time. If you're watching online, you can put it in the chat as well. But uh, when I say apocalypse, what comes to mind? Shout it out. End of the world. What's that? You agree with that one? Oh, fire. 
earthquake, pestilence, judgment, wrath. You see, apocalypse, that word has been taken over by Hollywood. Okay, and we've turned apocalypse to mean this horrible, catastrophic event that we would do everything humanly possible to avoid. Apocalypsis in the Greek, written in this context, means something completely different. It means that something is being unveiled and revealed and shown to me that I need to take great care and attention to listen to it. This apocalypsis, this unveiling, should change my life for the better. For the better. So we read it through this Western lens of disaster, horror, all the things that can go wrong. So is it any wonder that we divide and fight as Christians over all these horrible world events that we see going on? Because we're afraid. (laughs) We've been taught to be afraid of the apocalypse. But John's heart as a pastor is to reveal something to the church. That victory is one, right? That Jesus has been revealed, unveiled to the church. And so let me read here from John, uh, from Revelation chapter one. I'm going to read verses nine to 20. If you have a Bible, you can follow along in your Bible. If you use the YouVersion Bible app, there's a little tab on there called events, and you can find our church there and you can see the whole outline there and get the text from there as well. Let me read here these verses to help us really center around the heart of God and the heart of John of what the church is dealing with here. So here it starts in verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. 
The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right here, so John, in the beginning of Revelation here, John highlights the struggles that the church is dealing with. You know, John calls himself a brother and a companion in suffering, that, there's, that he's a companion in the persecution of the church. He is in a Roman penal colony, banished to this island so that he cannot proclaim the word of God anywhere and have influence in the Roman culture. And the church is going through this great persecution And John's heart is, we're all in this together. You're not alone. God knows and God hears. So he's a companion in this. And then we get into the details here of Jesus' position in the church. Jesus' position in the lives of followers of Jesus. And so the big idea that I want us to unpack together as we look closer at this text is this. And I encourage you to write these things down so you can talk about them in your life group this week. Is The big idea is that it's all about Jesus being at the center of the church and of our lives. It's all about Jesus being at the center of the church and the center of our lives. Right, John hears a voice, he turns, and he sees lampstands. Now, again, we can go into our life group this week. Oh, what do you think the lampstands mean? What do you think the lampstands are? What do you think they are? Again, you can have some really cool conversation. Well, I think they, they're reflective of what C.S. Lewis wrote about Narnia, and it kind of it points this way to some magic cupboard, and so that if we go through the cupboard, then we'll be made whole, and we can go down all these rabbit trails... <laughs> When Jesus actually tell us, tells us, again, when you have a question about the Bible, get your answer from the Bible. And so we can actually see lampstands are used in many, many different places throughout the Bible. They're in the holy place of the tabernacle uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah has visions of golden lampstands in, in his visions that he's received from God. And then here in, in verse 20 of chapter 1, Jesus himself says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That there's kind of these seven regions in the Roman Empire that these churches are meeting in, and they're dealing with stuff. They're dealing with this persecution. They're dealing with this hardship. And so next week, we're going to talk about some of the things that these churches are dealing with and what Jesus has to say to them. Right, But then it says in here, when, when John hears this voice, he, in verse 12, it says, When I turned, I saw the lampstands, which represent the churches, according to Jesus, and among the lampstands. Some translations say centered in the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And that's that Old Testament language that we read about. You saw that kind of when you got people thrown into a furnace. And God keeps them alive, and it looked like there was another person in the furnace with them that looked like the Son of Man. It's this title given to the Messiah. And John sees among the churches, centered in the churches, is Jesus. And so just a couple of points to to reflect on and be reminded of 
as we look at this big idea that it's all about Jesus being the center of the church and the center of our lives, as you look at this, we have to realize as we study Revelation, it's not about one world government, not about one world currency, it's not about the mark of the beast. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It should get us so focused on who Jesus is. Look at these verses that Paul writes for us in verses 12 to 16, where he says, When I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, when I turned, I saw the lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, and he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. His right hand, he had the seven stars coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is a picture here of Jesus in the fullness of his glory. In the fullness of his majesty. At the right hand of God the Father in heaven. See, when you think of Jesus, what picture comes to mind? If you're like me, I'm going to guess that the picture you have of Jesus, whenever you think of Jesus, is Jesus in his human form, when he came to earth, living in Galilee, walking from town to town. He's wearing dirty sandals, wearing poor man's clothing. Depending on which movie you watch, it might be like sexy Jesus or not sexy Jesus, depending on the the show that you watch. We all have these weird interpretations of Jesus in our shows, okay? But I'm guessing you're picturing that Jesus, right? Is that who you picture when you think of Jesus? This is Jesus right now. Right now, this is Jesus right now in this moment of human history. So it's cool to have kind of Jesus of Galilee playing with children, petting lambs, occasionally flipping over tables (laughs) as a picture of Jesus. But when we realize that there's this Jesus of glory, that there's this divinity of Jesus, that there's this power of Jesus, which is so much more than what we read about in the Gospels, right? We really start seeing the book of Revelation through that lens of it being all about Jesus and the fullness of his power and majesty and glory in the world. So we have to read this through this lens that it's all about Jesus. And then the second lens that we need to take as we read about this is that it's all about Jesus's church, It's all about Jesus' church. I think one of the big mistakes that we do so often as Western Christians is we take any part of the Bible that's written to Christians, that's written to the people of God, that's written to the church, and we look at the outside world, and we tell them how to live their lives. It's like, oh, you're not a Christian? That's okay. You need to live like the way my book tells you to live. (laughs) When this is written to us 
Right. One of the things, again, there's a little bit of division on some of this imagery that's here when it talks about these angels, when Jesus says like he's got these um, angels in his hands. Right. In my right hand, um, the seven stars that you saw. And so Jesus explains what are the seven stars? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And so this term angel can also be translated as messenger. So it could be these messengers of the church. And again, there's division on, well, what are these messengers? Some scholars and people who've been studying this a lot longer than I have actually believe that this could be, I'm not saying it is, but it could be talking about the pastors and the elders and the leaders of the seven churches. That so among the churches... You have Jesus in there. You've got kind of the leaders, the messengers of the church, and Jesus is aware of all of this stuff that's going on. It could also be the spirit of those churches. When you think of church, right, like you could actually go visit a church or visit two different churches that are part of the exact same denomination, So they're the exact same denomination, and they feel very different. That's that spiritual DNA of a church, of a local church. There's a spirit to it. It's different. And it's not that one is right and one is wrong, one is biblical, the other is not biblical. There's just a different move of God in there. So again, there's a little bit of tension on on what this angel messenger idea is but again but the heart behind what's being revealed by jesus here is jesus has great concern for the church and he's going to get much deeper into that and we're going to look at that next week as we look at chapter two and chapter three so we got to look at this through the lens that it's all about jesus and it's all about jesus's message to us as we deal with the world that we live in and so how does revelation kind of work out as, as we read this, as we study this, as we see the heart of Jesus in the text, as we hear the heart of John, a pastor, as he writes what Jesus told him to write? Right? One of the, uh, just a couple of things I want to just conclude our time with, and I encourage you again, write these down, talk about them, wrestle over these things in your life group this week. Like, how should the study of Revelation actually impact a church. How should it impact a church? The first thing that I've hugely come to believe in my own study and my own experience of walking through this book is that the study of Revelation for the church should bring us to a greater worship of Jesus. It should bring us to a greater worship of Jesus. Like these are the words of Jesus to the church. Do not be afraid. See, our world right now is a disaster. I mean, I'm watching the end of the pandemic, and I'm like, yay, I'm going to burn my mask. I'm going to, like, hug everybody. If you're not a hugger, stay away from me because April 1st, you're getting hugged. Like, it's just going to happen because I'm done with this, and I've been fighting real hard to keep people healthy and all of that. And yay, we're done. Oh, welcome to a war. (laughs) Or welcome to every other hardship 
that life is just constantly throwing at us. So we could be dealing with worldwide problems. And I know so many of you, you are dealing with individual problems where your entire world feels like it's falling apart. And Jesus' words to you are, do not be afraid. There's victory if you focus on the right thing, right? Do not be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. That's, it's, that means that holding those keys, it means that sin has no more power over you. See, under sin, the, the penalty of sin is death. We, in our sin, we are slaves to our spiritual enemy. We're slaves to sin. And we have truly been set free because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we worship him and we celebrate that each and every week when we get together, whether in person or online. Right? And it should drive us into a deeper form of worship. One of the things that Paul and I, we joke about a lot as pastors here, is one Sunday, I'm going to mess up your head. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach first and then do the music. Okay? And now those of you who kind of come late because you don't like the music, I'm going to mess you up. I'm going to mess you up because here's the thing, right? And I've heard this story. I have said these words from the pulpit before that we are going to sing some songs in order to prepare our hearts for the word of God. Have you ever heard that? That is the most unbiblical thing we can say because we don't sing a few songs to get you ready to deal with me for the next 45 minutes. You see, like I'm not the man. It's not like I've been sitting here and I, I've got something to tell you and your life is going to be a train wreck unless you listen to me because, boy, what Greenbelt Church does, it's all about this sermon and I am the most important thing that's happening in this building. Not biblical. You see, when we study who Jesus is, why do we study who Jesus is? To make us greater worshipers. We proclaim Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus Christ alive and that Jesus paid for your sin. And you could be made right with God, not by being religious, but by surrendering your heart to him. And when you do that, you are made new. You are brought into the family of God. And that should drive you to a posture of worship. I should be able to set foot into any Christian church on the planet that proclaims the name of Jesus and be able to worship. I'm going to poke a little bit in this series as a little bit of a warning. You, Christian, should be able to be plucked out of Greenbelt Church and attend any church that is proclaiming the name of Jesus and be able to worship. Regardless of the style, regardless of the songs, regardless of the volume, regardless of the language. I actually very intentionally, I did this for years and years and years. I visited churches that speak other languages. I love worshiping with our Arabic brothers and sisters that are meeting in the other room right now. And I don't know the words and I don't know the song because it's not about that. It's about Jesus. The more we get to know what Jesus has done, it radically changes our posture 
of worship. That's like even at the beginning here when John says that it was the Lord's day that he was in the spirit. He's worshiping when Jesus showed up. <laughs> and worship is eternal. If you're one of those Christians that don't like the music, good luck in heaven. <laughs> If you're one of those Christians, oh, I just like the expository word of God, and that's the only thing that's you know, going to be good, good luck in heaven. I'm out of a job in heaven because Jesus is going to proclaim himself. I'm going to scrub toilets in heaven. So watch what you eat, please. Okay? Like Jesus is going to proclaim himself. That's who he is in this fullness of his glory. He doesn't need Kevin to tell people about Jesus. He's going to do it himself for all eternity. And we're going to worship and worship the king who died for us. So this changes our posture of worship. And maybe today you've never heard Jesus like this. Maybe for you, Jesus was religion. It was rules. It was tradition. But you can have Jesus in your life just by simply saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Come into my life and make me new. If you pray that online, a pop-up shows up. I'd love if you click that and let us know. If you pray that way in person here, tell me after the service because we want to celebrate with you. So it changes our posture of worship. The other thing that the study of Revelation will help us do is it helps us to put the mission of Jesus as the priority of the church. It helps us to keep the mission of Jesus as the priority of the church. There's a movement in Western Christianity that wants to make the church look like culture. And so we're going to change the message of the Bible. We're going to change the message of Jesus so that we're more like Jesus's PR person and make the church more acceptable to people who don't like God or the Bible. And, and that's a very dangerous thing to do. And, and really, my goal is I'm not overly concerned with changing the culture as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor, as a leader. I'm massively concerned with God changing me. That's my biggest prayer. God, change me. Work on me. And as God works on me, my second greatest desire is that that has a ripple effect to work on you, my church, the people that I love, the people that I walk with, the people that we do life together, and that God would work on you. And as God works on you, then culture will get taken care of. You see how that works? If we're so obsessed with making non-Christians act like Christians and we get them to change their behavior and they die not knowing the living one, we lost. We missed the point. We're not trying to create a Christian nation. We're trying to see people know Jesus. That's the mission of the church. We'll focus on us. And then we'll trust that as we are out in culture, at work, at play, that it will get focused on that way. And then the last thing that this study does, and this has been my personal experience with going through this and studying this from every angle that I could for years, was to get to a posture where Jesus truly is the central part of our lives. 
A study of the book of Revelation should bring you to the point where Jesus truly is the center, not just of the church you attend, but of your life as a follower of Jesus. Again, as Western Christians, we tend to want our lives, our desires, our plans, and then we add Jesus to it. And then we wonder why we're so upset, why we're so stressed out, why we're so bent out of shape, why we're so depressed, why we're so anxious that Jesus isn't necessarily giving us everything that we want. Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom of God first, making Jesus central, get him to change us. And then suddenly our wants and our desires are given to us because he changes those things. So we make Jesus, Jesus being center here among the lampstands. As Jesus tells the church in persecution, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm victorious. I'm victorious. Now, yes, there might be some dark days ahead. Yes, there might be some struggles and some things that need to be figured out. Yes, there might be persecution, even martyrs and all these other things. But when the heart and the focus is not on the apocalypse, but when the focus is on Jesus and Jesus's mission in the church, we can praise, we can worship, we can grow in our faith, and we can see more and more people impacted by the love of God by focusing where Jesus calls us to focus. Because it's all about Jesus being at the center of, of our church and of our lives. So let's pray. Father, as we kick off this series, um, I praise you for all the ways that you work in and through your church. God, I praise you for the amazing diversity in the body of Christ. <laughs> where even with a book like Revelation, we can approach it from different perspectives and different backgrounds. But at the end of the day, no matter what position we take, we all have to admit that it's about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus wants to do in his church and in our lives. You know, as Paul prayed earlier, God, we think of those right now like that are dealing with war, the rumors of war, the church in the Ukraine, the church in Russia, the church in Europe, and everything that is going on, God, it, it'd be easy to go, okay, let's talk about this from Revelation, and is this Magog, and is this all, like, oh, God, help us to focus on what's important. Drive us to our knees in prayer. Drive us to our knees in worship, knowing that Jesus is victorious, regardless of what we see in the news. And God, I pray that you would minister to all of us, whatever is going on in our lives individually, whatever hurt we're dealing with, whatever pain we're dealing with, whatever struggle we're dealing with, God, help us to always remember that you love us, that you've not abandoned us, that you are with us. And we do not need to be afraid because you are victorious. So Holy Spirit, I would ask that your presence would be filled, would fill all of our hearts as we continue to worship what we've heard about Jesus today in the fullness of his glory. Let it impact how we worship and praise you now because of the way you have forgiven us of our sin and in the ways that you will continue to work in our lives, in our church, and in our world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.